best possible speakers. You were top of our list. And so I start thinking, I'm reading over that, and I'm thinking, hey, these guys think I'm famous. <laughs> they consider me a celebrity. And I start feeling proud about being invited to speak about pride in the platform. And, uh, and then I realize they probably have me at the top of the list because they think I need this the most. So um, that's how pride is for us. Um, it, it stalks us relentlessly when you put us in front of people. It is stalking me now. Um, in the summer of 2010, my family, we had, this, we had the tremendous privilege of going as a family to do a, uh, a mission camp for kids in Kenya, and then we did a safari, a tented safari um, afterwards. And it was, uh, next to the scriptures, creation brings God to me in the most vivid ways, so it was like Shangri-La, you know what I mean? It was unbelievable. And these guides were incredible. Um, I have a camera. It does have a zoom on it. It's not that good a zoom. But I took this picture. That is an elephant's eye. Okay. That, this is how close we're getting. Um, this is how close I was. This, I was from here to the back row from, uh, last guy in the back row from this leopard. Um, not the guys in the sound booth. I mean like you would right there. I I was that close. And then we pulled up on this lioness, and, uh, and in particular this lion, and I was from here to Greg Wilson in the front row to a lion. And I was in this vehicle. I show you this vehicle because my son is standing outside. He's about to jump in the window of the vehicle. There are no windows on these vehicles. And I'm sitting here from a lion. And so I asked I ask the guide, I said, I said, is this safe? And, and he says, um, as long as you stay in the vehicle. But he said, if you get outside the vehicle, not, not so much. <laughs> so um, what, what I want to do today is uh, encourage you about how to stay in the safekeeping of humility. Um, when pride is seeking to ravage you. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. One of his favorite baits is pride. Um, and uh, we are especially susceptible from, from three angles. Uh, by our own minds, it goes like this. You know why I'm up here? Because I'm good at this. I'm better at you than this. That's why I'm up here. So I start thinking, hey. They raised the platform up high for me, you know? That's why. You know why Daniel Creswell is up in front every Sunday morning? Because he's better at that than me. And our minds start thinking, I deserve this. Pride seems reasonable to us at some level. Um, and you, you mix that up then with our hearts. We long to be important. We want to be accepted. We want to be respected. And you put that toxic combination of heart and mind together. It makes fools of us. Watch the early rounds of American Idol. It makes absolute fools of us. Um, Cornelius Plantinga says, uh, Pride amounts to a kind of phantom wisdom. 
Pride renders fools unteachable. They know it all. You can't tell them anything. They are wise in their own eyes, a sure sign of folly. Badly educated ministers who are both vague and dogmatic, off-key singers who insist on contending for solo parts, children of Israel who wander 40 years in the wilderness because even then the men were unwilling to ask for directions, pinball pinball enthusiasts who devote 10 years of their adult lives to becoming the best player in their neighborhood tavern, rejecting every inquiry, inquiry about the worthwhileness of this project with the remark that the inquirer must be envious. These and other standouts from the ranks of the foolish display one of human life's most wondrous combinations, a stubborn combination of ignorance and arrogance. The foolish, as the saying goes, are often in error but never in doubt. Moreover, when the dogmatism is challenged, they increase it. Some of them give you a peace of mind, he says, that they can hardly afford to lose. Um, Stereotypically, my favorite song about pride is uh, Mac Davis's song. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. (laughs) To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. I'm paraphrasing. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm I'm doing the best that I can. Ronnie, I almost asked you to sing that for me today. (laughs) Not another personal reason, just because you're the guy that was leading, leading worship. And then you mix up our dark minds and our dark hearts and you put us in a celebrity culture and it's crazy. In 2002, the former barber of Elvis Presley sold a clump of Elvis hair for $115,000. Justin Timberlake's half-eaten French toast, three grand. A jar, I'm not making this up, a jar containing the exhaled breath of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie was recently bought by a fan for $500. Uh, a piece of bubblegum chewed by Britney Spears, $160. Tells you about Britney's stock these days. Uh, Justin Bieber's hair. In 2011, um, his hair sold on eBay for $40,668. Uh, a tissue used by Scarlett Johansson, sold for $5,300 on a used tissue. So in an effort to plunder the Egyptians for a worthy cause, I have a can of Diet Coke from Daniel Creswell's desk (laughs) that was consumed by him. And this will be auctioned on our website for our worship expenses uh, later today. You can go there and and put put your bids in on that. But in, uh, in the face of all that kind of craziness, um, if you'll bow with me in prayer, I'll walk you through some encouragement on pride and humility. Um, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. And this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. So I'm, today I'm not going to exegete a particular passage. If you can come back tomorrow, we'll do that. Uh, today I am going to back up a large truck full of incentive and insight into killing pride and cultivating humility. Um, you can take notes. Um, if it keeps you awake, that's a very good thing. Um, I'm not interested in you reproducing my outline. There is not a test at the end of the session. I, I just want you, to, I want you to take notes on that which God has for you. There's something in this truckload of stuff I'm going to dump on you about pride that God brought to my mind for you. Um, Don't miss that.
think. Like I said, if taking notes copiously keeps you engaged, but I'm most interested that you grasp what it is that God has for you. So let me start with the incentive, biblical incentive to slay pride. I just want you to listen uh, what the scriptures say about why it's important to slay pride. And I'll, I'll, I'll give this to you um, online after the session. Pride, this is a list of the consequences of pride from the scripture. It pits us against God. It leads to our downfall. It keeps us from seeking God. It causes us to be unfaithful to God. It belittles the righteous. It brings disgrace. It breeds quarrels. Um, it conflicts with exalting God. It's deceptive. It inflates our view of ourselves. Um, it's hated by God. It leads to self-deception. It divides brothers. It makes us forget God. It separates us from God. It is sin. It's contrary to love. It breeds disobedience. It removes us from God's presence. It will be rebuked by God himself. It causes us not to heed God's word. It causes us to run ahead of God. It is like idolatry. It is evil and makes a man unclean and pride cannot endure. Beth Moore, um, really, uh, this is really significant, I think. She wrote a little poem. It says, my name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you are wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I'm convinced, I've convinced you to seek your own. My name is Pride. I am a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I'm looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you, I admit, but don't worry. If you stick with me, she says, you'll never know. Now, let me go to the other side. And let me give you incentive for humility from the scriptures. Humility is the trigger that releases the favor of God upon a life. He saves the humble. He gives grace to them. Humility fuels prayer and seeking God and makes the way for God to forgive and heal. God guides the humble in his ways and teaches them what is right. God sustains the humble and he delights in them. Humility yields wisdom, honor, wealth, and life. He esteems and hears the humble. It protects us from God's anger. It is the mark of the greatest in the kingdom. If we humble ourselves, God will exalt us in turn. Humility is a prerequisite to justification. It restrain, restrains sexual indulgence. The humble will be exalted by God. It results in humble deeds that are the fruit of a good life. Humility enables us to respond to evil with blessing. By their parents' humility, children are blessed with the provision of God through their parents' intercession. Jesus put it very simply. He said, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And Proverbs is downright blunt. It says, um, I hate pride and arrogance. God is speaking his wisdom there. John Stott says, pride then is more than the first of seven deadly sins. It is the essence of all sin. 
It is the stubborn refusal to let God be God with the corresponding ambition to take his place. It is the attempt to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. Sin is self-deification. But God says that since he is God and he alone, he will not share his glory with another. If I can paraphrase John Owen, be killing pride or it will be killing you. So, with all of that incentive, what I'd like to do now is give you a handful, which, uh, as I've worked on this over the course of the week, it's turned into a truck full of, um, I don't know what to call them, other than tips about how to kill pride uh, for those of us who stand in front of folk and uh, grow humility. And again, I am most interested that you grasp one or two of these that are yours. They are for you. You know God put these in here for you, so... I'm going to start with the Captain Obvious one, and that is you should meditate on the word about pride and humility. You should gather biblical ammunition. If you know you're going to stand in front of people with a bullseye on your chest uh, in the realm of spiritual warfare, you should, you should know what the Bible says about pride and humility, what fuels it, what slays it, um, why it matters. The kinds of those summaries that I just read to you, I'll make all those scriptures available to you online after this session. Um, but you should know those things. Those summaries come out of um, a season of study on pride and humility that I did about 10 years ago that really has shaped the course of my life in ministry. Um, and I was in the Bible on prayer and humility daily for a long time, for a season. Here uh, in our staff, we talk about a sustained, strategic soaking in the Word um, where you are thinking about uh, what you want to kill in your life and what you want to grow in your life, sometimes for seasons. We think in terms of seasons, not in terms of days or weeks, but usually it takes months of meditation on the word for it to change you. Psalm 119 says, I have hidden your word in your heart, in my heart rather, that I might not sin against you. Um, the word has transformative power. And if you, are, if you struggle, especially if you struggle with pride, then you should carve out a season of your life where that's going to be your daily meditation and reflection. And as you can tell, the Bible has a lot to say about it. So you won't lack for stuff to study. Um, so meditate on the word. Right next to the most obvious one is pray. You should pray prayers that humble you. And I believe that um, particularly thanksgiving and confession are really good things we often neglect that put us in a posture of humility before God. It is my practice every night before I go to sleep to give thanks for God's kindness during the day and to confess my sin. Um, and, and that's very humbling because you look back on your day and you realize it's all God except the sin, and I confess that. So uh, those two practices need to be built into your life of regular practices of thanksgiving and confession. Um, before you stand in front of people, you should pray these kinds of prayers. Um, I have an acronym that I use. If, you've ever, if you're from North Wake and you sit under my teaching, you know I hardly ever do acronyms. Um, I, I'm really horrible at them. And you're about to see why. My acronym is SPUGWHOOPED. <laughs> it's called SPUGWHOOPED. And that's the best I've ever done. So let me show you what, 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 it, what it means. Uh, let's, let's walk through that. And I'm sure that you'll always remember that. Um, S, shepherd's heart. Pray for a shepherd's heart. This is first because it matters. Uh, when, you, when you lead, there's a form of shepherding that's going on. So though these are for preaching, they have great application to you. Um, 
Pray for a shepherd's heart that I would care more about my people than about me and how I'm doing. And then Isaiah 40 says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Uh, So I pray for a shepherd's heart. Um, Pray that I care more about them than me. The P is I pray for passion and heart of the Father to be seen and heard as me as I teach. And this would increasingly mark all of my life, all of my days, that I would express his longing to be gracious and his desire to show compassion so that the heart of the Father would be evident in my countenance, in my passion as I present the word. Again, beautiful application to, um, to leading in worship as well as in the word. G, pray for the glory to be God's alone, that I would be free from the fear of man and given fully to honor God. Um, Psalm 115.1 is what I prayed at the beginning. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. If you'll just pray that before you lead worship, um, that, that'll be a, a huge help. Um, the W is pray for the word to be exalted by my every word and have its full effect. This is a beautiful thing for a worship leader to, to pray, that the word would be exalted. And uh, by the way, I'll, this, is, this will be part of that humility kit that I'll put online for you guys uh, this week when Wonder Woman comes back into the office and does it for me. Um, P, pray for the person and work of Christ to be lifted up, that men and women and boys and girls might be drawn to him, drawn to God through him. So... Uh, just that Christ would be exalted in that. And I thank God for his unspeakable kindness. We forget sometimes what, a, what an unspeakable privilege it is that people like you and I would actually stand up and speak and sing and represent God. And, uh, and so it goes well, and we don't thank God. And that's just a tragedy. So um, pray intentional prayers that humble you. Right before you go on stage, you should pray these kind of prayers. Um, I use the offering time. We typically, our, our liturgy as it unfolds here usually involves the offering before the sermon. So for me, that's a time when these kinds of prayers are being prayed. Um, unless the worship team is doing something so fantastic that they wholly distract me, which happens regularly, but I still try to pray these prayers. Um, so pray. Uh, pray prayers that humble you. Um, Third one, this is very important, and I'm going to spend a little more time on it. Remember who is in the room. Okay? And there are three people that I want you to think about, three categories of people. I want you to remember that God is in the room. God is in the room. And, and that is quite humbling. <laughs> um, I want you to listen to uh, Job 30. So I just want you to listen to this. From Job 37, from, from the message. It says, Job, are you listening? Have you noticed all this? Stop in your tracks. Take in God's miracle wonders. Do you have any idea how God does it all? How he makes bright lightning from dark storms. How he piles up the cumulus clouds. All these miracle wonders of a perfect mind. Why, you don't even know how to keep cool on a sweltering hot day. So how could you even dream of making a dent in that hot tin roof sky? If you're so smart, give us a lesson in how to address God. We're in the dark and can't figure it out. Do you think I'm dumb enough to challenge God? Wouldn't that just be asking for trouble? No one in his right mind stares straight at the sun on a clear and cloudless day. 
As gold comes from the northern mountains, so a terrible beauty streams from God. Mighty God, far beyond our reach, unsurpassable in power and justice. It's unthinkable that he doesn't treat anyone unfairly. So bow to him in deep reverence, one and all. If you're wise, you'll most certainly worship him. So God is in the room. Sometimes when you're in front of hundreds of people, you can forget that it's all about God. God is in the room, and there are lots of folks in the room often. Um, They are very important people. Um, They are people who matter more than you do. According, According to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more, more significant Different translations read of that differently. More important is probably my favorite than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this, of course, is the mind of Christ. According to Paul and the pattern of Jesus, you are the least important person in the room when you lead worship. You are the least important person in the room. You, you are that third group of people that are in the room. God is in the room. Really important people are in the room. And lastly, you are in the room. You who are wholly dependent upon God for all things, for the beating of your heart, for the breath in your lungs. You who are in part responsible for the very death of the very Son of God, so wretched are your sins. You are in the room. John Piper uh, frames this self-assessment well. He says, When he's dealing with pride in the platform, he says, I call to mind that I am not self-existent. Only the triune God is. Only God is absolute. I am contingent. I remind myself that I am utterly dependent on God for my origin and for my present and future existence. I call this to mind and ponder its truth. I remember that I am by nature a depraved sinner and that in all my sinning I have treated God with contempt, preferring other things to his glory. I ponder that this condition of mine is so desperate that it can only be remedied at the cost of the horrid death of the Son of God to bear my punishment and provide my righteousness. And I revel in the forgiveness and righteousness that is mine in Christ. So you are in the room. And in an unspeakable act of undeserved privilege, you are in the front of the room, leading really important people before the Almighty God. How you think about people in the room where you are leading worship is really, really important. Um, because when you embrace what I just talked about, those, that kind of threefold way of thinking about the people in the room, you're going very counterculture and counter self. Um, our culture, uh, we live in a day where you'll see typically up to 300 advertising messages a day. And every one of them tells you um, that you need better. You deserve better. You deserve newer, faster, shinier, high-deafier stuff. Okay? You deserve it. That's, and you hear 300 times a day, someone is telling you, you deserve this. And uh, that affects you. They, they tell you, you are a worthy consumer. And so you deserve a new truck or a new house or, or whatever. And so we have to recalibrate so that we self-assess, not like the 300 messages we hear a day, we self-assess like Paul who says, I am the chief of sinners. And that's a big gap. Um, and central to this is how we think about our own sin. Um, it's not that someone is, um, 
better than me on some kind of uh, scale, balance kind of scale. Um, but it's that our own sin looms so large in our eyes as to make a relative comparison impossible. And um, I think of it this way. Um, I, th- I think of that there's uh, an imaginary line in heaven and people are standing in that line before the throne of God and the most worthy are at the front and the least worthy are at the back. Okay. Now, I know three things about this line. Okay. I know it's not in the Bible. I'm making it up. Okay. First of all, don't go to Revelation try to find a line. It's not there. It's just illustrative for this purpose. The second thing I know is I can't even see my wife. Okay. She is so far ahead of me in the line. That's the second thing I know. And the third thing I know is that I'd be way, way back because I'm so aware of my history as a skilled sinner. Um, We should be able to say with Paul, I am the chief of sinners. Um, How how could that be? And uh, I think of it this way. Again, it's not because, objectively, if you put Ronnie and I up next to each other, um, that Ronnie's a more prolific sinner than I am. Okay? But let's say, just for the purpose of example, that quantifying my sin is like this little hacky sack ball, and Ronnie's sin is as big as his big old head. Okay? <laughs> let's just say, purely hypothetically speaking. And so... So if I'm just saying, me and Ronnie, Ronnie's a short end of the stick. But, but if I am focused on my sin, you know, I'm really zeroed in on it, I can't even see Ronnie's sin, okay? Because this is preoccupying me. I am zeroed in on this. I can't even see his. I'm not concerned about his. This is my preoccupation. It convinces me that I am the chief of sinners. That's what Paul means. You know, I'm not sure you put Paul up against Hitler or, you know, some of these horrible guys, Idi Amin, some of these butchers throughout history. I don't know that he comes out on top. But in his own mind, he can't get past this. Um, so where would you be in that line? See, are you way up in front with the important people? Paul says that you are the least important person in, your, in the room. This is why. Because you're preoccupied with it. You can't get past it. You are in awe of the fact that God would forgive you this by Christ. So how you think about the people in the room, how you think about your own sin is really important. Um, Here's another tip. If you're trying to number them, this is actually four. (laughs) There are nine, if you can get nine out of them. Uh, Take the lowest place. It is an intentional safeguard for your soul. We don't have pastor parking at North Wake. The pastor parking space is behind the dumpster in the alley. And that is good for my soul. It's where I should park. It protects me from thinking I'm special. I'm exceptional. I get a special place to park. I do get a special place to park. It's far from the building in the alley by the dumpster where I belong. Okay. Um, Jesus tells a fascinating story. 
Luke 14 tells a story uh, of people who were invited to a banquet. They're kind of jockeying for position. He says, when he noticed how they chose places of honor at the banquet, he says to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, um, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, Jesus says, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he might say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Take the lowest place. Sing harmony. Play rhythm. Pick up percussion, not the kit. Okay. Play second fiddle. I love what Leonard Bernstein said. Um, orchestra conductor, they asked him, what's the hardest instrument to play? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, second fiddle. <laughs> he said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, he said, that is a problem. And yet if no one plays second, we have no harmony. There's a, there's a really cool website. I don't know if you've run across it. Um, it's actually a website-based movement, they hope. They say it's to inspire people of all kinds to live for God and for others. Uh, they call it I Am Second. If you haven't been there, it's just stories. It's just testimonies filmed against a black, back, uh, black background. Um, people talking about everybody from uh, professional athletes to musicians to um, prostitutes to um, all kinds of folk. Lecrae is on there uh, telling his story from a fatherless uh, perspective. Um, I am second. Based on the example of Jesus, though Paul would up the ante, he would say, I am last. Okay. I am at the back of that line. If you believe that you are, in fact, the least important person in the room, then you should act like it. You should serve. You should take the lowest place. Jesus did. That's the whole point of Philippians 2. If you want to follow Christ, you must humble yourself. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In becoming a servant, in taking on human form, and becoming obedient to death, Jesus emptied himself. He poured himself out for us. He did not grasp. He emptied. From the nature of God to the nature of a servant is the greatest of gaps. There is no deeper descent into humility than what Jesus did. It's a long way from God to slave, from heaven to earth, from throne to stable, from Lord of life to death, even death on a cross. From worship to rejection, from invincibility to suffering, from extraordinary beauty to plain and ordinary, from the purest to bearing the sins of the world, from speaking creation into existence to entering creation a helpless babe, from being admired by the angels to being ignored by men, from holy, holy, holy to sin bearer, 
from the presence of the Father to torn apart from him. It's a long way from the nature of God to the nature of a slave. Take the lowest place. Jesus did. Five, accept being passed over as a gift. Count it a kindness from God, sparing your fleshly pride much needed fuel to live and grow. Uh, I, I went to seminary, and we took, at the seminary I attended, we took three preaching classes, and took the first preaching class, and they did that thing where they videoed you, and uh, there was a professor like, like in the nursing mom's room there behind one-way glass, and he would watch you, and it was a two-track recording. One track was you, and the other track was the professor saying, that was a silly gesture. That was, that was heresy. You know, just. And so they, this is what they'd have you do. You would go sit down. This is part of the torture of those classes. You go sit down, and you would have to watch yourself, and you have to watch yourself twice. You'd watch yourself once and just listen to yourself. You fill out this little form that, you know, indicated how awful you were. And then you would listen to your professor reinforcing how awful you were. So you had to listen to it twice. I remember talking with a friend of mine. We were so ashamed. He said, all I want to do, and it so resonated, he said, all I want to do is go back into the classroom and apologize to the classroom, making them listen to that. And I, I almost never spoke publicly again after that class. It was horrible. But we had three classes. And by the time I got to the third class and I had been teaching in a local church, I had gotten better. And I had gotten, I had gotten pretty good okay, at, at speaking and preaching. And uh, your last sermon of your last class you did in your, in your senior year, so four-year uh, seminary thing so I had senior year like college and um and I preached I it was a sweet spot on my I got an A I I nailed it it was it was one of the better sermons I'd ever done and didn't match for a long time just happened to be just right and my professor loved it um and he he said I am going to he raved about it and wrote remarks and was very kind and um, he's going to enter my sermon in the competition for senior preaching week in chapel at our seminary. Um, in one of the great sillinesses of seminary, they have a preaching competition. Can you imagine this? They have a preaching competition. And, and they take, the professors put forward these senior sermons, the best of the best. And then those guys preach senior preaching week and one of them wins some prize. I don't even know what it was. Um, and I'm thinking I'm going to get entered well I graduated in December the competition was in June he was going to enter for me um, and he lost my tape he, he lost my tape and I count this as one of God's great kindnesses to me that that that, that did not happen what if I had won with my vulnerability to pride, what would, how, how many years back would that have set me spiritually if I had won a preaching competition, which is absolute silliness in itself, that it even exists? Um, Jesus says, this is fascinating. I, I return to this often uh, for myself and in my counseling. 
Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Okay. A, a great benediction for worship team members to chant when they finish a set. We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. When you are overlooked or passed over, consider it a kindness. It is a gift of God safeguarding your own soul. Six. And we're going to go late. I apologize. Um, Accept criticism as containing a word from the Lord. Um, accept criticism as containing a word from the Lord. This close to seminary, uh, we have lots of people in here who have been trained to critique sermons. Okay? It's what, they, what they've learned to do in seminary. And so um, we, we actually have people who think that's what you do with a sermon. You critique it. Okay, they, they don't know that you sit under it and are nurtured and convicted by it. They think you're supposed to critique it, that that's what sermons are for, to be critiqued. And so from time to time, people will come in here and they'll critique my preaching. And I will actually get this critique on occasion in writing from seminary students who have never preached a sermon in their life. Okay, And uh, I think back to a story in 2 Samuel 6. Uh, David is being run out of town, and there's this guy named Shimei. And Shimei comes out after David and his army, and he begins to curse David, and he's throwing rocks and dirt at him. And uh, his, his bodyguards are like, you know, let's just take this guy out. And this is what David says. The king says, what have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, uh, his bodyguards? He said, I don't want that. If he is cursing me because the Lord has said to him, curse David, who then shall say, why have you done so if I were to have him killed? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, the bodyguards, behold, my son, my own son seeks my life. How much more this Benjamite, this Shimei who's after me, leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him to. Um, you know, when these, when these young whippersnappers who've never preached a sermon critique me, I try my best to find God's voice in it because I believe that he has sent them. Okay, now, don't, if you're at Northway, don't feel like I just commissioned you okay, <laughs> to be sent by God to critique me. That's not exactly what this is about. Uh, but when, when your musically untrained pastor approaches the soundboard and says to you, I'd like a little more kick drum or... or your musically untrained pastor rearranges the order of service that you have sweated great drops of blood over in prayer. And he says, I, I really would, this would really fit better with what I'm doing. Okay. These are hypothetical scenarios that have never happened at our church. <laughs> it is a kindness from God. God is speaking to you through your critics. He is protecting your soul from pride. I hope that you have humble ears to hear what they are saying. Number seven, 
briefly accept praise, then redirect it to the one who is worthy of it. So I had this friend growing up, and she got saved, and she sang solos in church, and she would sing these marvelous solos. People would come up, oh, that was wonderful. And she'd say, no, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And I just wanted to say, look, girl, it wasn't that good, okay? <laughs> it was not that good. It was you, okay? Um, so when someone tells me good job, which happens on occasion, um, I, I just say Thank you. I'm glad it was an encouragement to you. Okay. And then I redirect it to the word that is worthy. I said, that is an amazing text, isn't it? That's an amazing truth that God has given to us. Isn't God kind that he would give us that? Um, that verse, this is, the, this is the verse that we've hit on several times. Um, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. You want to do that redirect really quickly because praise will stick in your mind and heart and you'll become a glory robber rather than a glory giver. So um, briefly accept praise, then redirect it to the one who is truly worthy. Uh, number eight, we're nearing the end. Guard your aspirations. Um, Comparative ambition, which is honestly almost all of our ambition, I think, is a very dangerous thing. Where I am comparing, my, I want to do greater things than others. I want to be the greatest. Um, Jesus says, calls his disciples, says, uh, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When Jesus says he came not to be served, but to serve, I don't think, um, and this is, I go back and forth in my mind. At this moment, I don't think Jesus is telling us a new way to be the greatest. I think he's telling us to give it up. That there's a whole nother reason for living than being the greatest, and that is to serve like he did. So I'm not, I don't think this is like a sneaky end round way in the kingdom so you can be, you know, nah, 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 I'm better than you. Uh, I don't think it works that way. I think he is redefining life such that categories of greatness and service are almost irrelevant at this point. So let me, get, let me walk you through three interesting statements of desire that help, I think, illumine a way to safeguard your ambition, which can be a God thing uh, from pride, which is obviously not. So um, think about this statement. I want to do great things for God. Okay. Um, it's not necessarily a, in its entirety a bad statement. Somebody says this to you, don't say, my pastor said it. You're, you know, <laughs> you're probably proud. You're, I'm not, I'm just, I'm, this is illustrative for our thinking purposes here. And there's a lot of good hearts that will say things like this. And we've all probably said this. But let me redefine it just a little bit. Let's say, compare it to, I want to be greatly used by God. Okay. Now, there's a little shift going on. I am not the one doing. I am dependent on God to do. Um, I'm a little more comfortable with that. I think my pride is a little more suppressed than that. So let me take it one more level. I want to be greatly useful to God. 
whether I become great or not, that's up to God. I don't have an ambition to be greater than Ronnie, my, that I would be greater in the kingdom. I, I can't even have a category for that in kingdom thinking. But I do want to be greatly useful to God. I want to be as available to him as I can be. Um, there's a subtle shift as you walk down these three things from what can I do for God to who must I be before him. Um, from doing things for God to dependent submission before God. Someone suggested to me once, this was good counsel for me as an arrogant young man, um, still good counsel for me as an arrogant old man. Uh, you worry about the depth of your ministry, let God worry about the breadth of your ministry. That's good for me. That's good for me to um, dream a little different. So, um, again, be kind to others when they present this, <laughs> when they say they want to do great things for God, don't beat them up. Okay, that's not the point. Uh, but do be aware that your aspirations can lead to pride and you want to guard, guard them. The uh, last one is probably the most important, uh, in my mind anyway. Guard your communion with Christ. It is extraordinarily difficult to be proud when you draw near to the one who had to die because of your sin. Louis Giglio says, humility is a byproduct of being with Jesus. I agree. I am regularly telling people uh, two things. All we really have to offer people is Christ. Okay? The nearer you are to Christ, the more vibrant you walk in communion with him, the, the more happily that happens. Okay? All we really have to offer people is Christ. And then I also tell them, we minister out of health. The vibrancy of our communion with Christ is what we minister out of. When you stand up in front of people, it's Christ. And it's the vibrancy of your communion with Christ that's blessing people, that's being useful to God. Um, and uh, I, I have found a prayer that I love that's from, I think, the 400s. Uh, if you go to North Wake, you, you heard this a couple weeks ago. It's uh, St. Patrick's Breastplate. And this is an excerpt uh, from it. I arise today through a mighty strength. The invocation of the Trinity through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I rise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. I rise today through a mighty strength, the invocation of the Trinity, through belief in the threeness, through confession of the oneness of the creator of creation. Um, we minister out of health, out of the vibrancy of our communion with Christ. Um, and there is no greater safeguard for pride than drawing near to the one who has died for your sins. So, um, I've dumped a, dumped a large truck upon you. I trust that there were a couple of items in that truck that you sensed that God um, is, had in there for you. 
You must do these things to safeguard your heart from pride and to grow a Christ-like humility. Um, I will post um, as many of these resources as I can. I'll post the humility and pride summaries with the scripture references. Those would be good starting places for you if you want to meditate on the scriptures. It's just the tip of the iceberg, but it'll be a good starting place. I will put spugwupt up there in case that catchy acronym is not enough for you. Um, I have some prayers of confession that I've gathered from different sites on the internet that are really useful if it'll help you prompt you to confess your sins well. Um, the articles I referenced, by uh, one by Piper on pride, there's one by Stott, there's also one by Spurgeon that are very good, those will be posted. The poems by Beth Moore, St. Patrick's Best Place, Plate, those will all be posted in this little humility kit that I'm going to post for you. I hope you'll find something in there. Uh, it should be up Monday or Tuesday. Let's do something uh, worshipful to close. If you'll stand with me. Um, we're going to recite something called the Litany of Humility. And your part is uh, in italics. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, from the desire of being esteemed, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumniated, which means to impose, a, impair somebody's reputation. Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected, that others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Amen and amen. Pray with me. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated and Daniel will give you directions.